Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua Sheets. I'm your host, and today I want to share with you about a very useful planning concept, a heuristic that you can implement to not only get better outcomes, but more importantly, to make you a better planner in all parts of your life. That concept is complementary redundancy. Let me expand. We begin with a simple saying. That saying is this, two is one and one is none. I'm not sure who originated this, I've heard it most in the world of physical prepping, preparedness, planning, etc. Perhaps it came from the military, or I, I don't know. But the basic idea is two is one, and one is none. What it means is, if you have one of something, and that something fails, then you have nothing. But if you have two of something, and something fails, then you have one. So an example would be, let's say you're out on a hike. And you know, of course, that water is very important so that you can stay hydrated and stay alive, yet you're not, uh, you shouldn't just kneel down and drink the water from the stream. So you need some form of a water filter or water purifier. So if you take on your hike a water filter, and that's all that you have, you have one water filter, and then that water filter gets a hole in the membrane and it stops functioning, well, you now have no way to filter water which can result in your being very sick and potentially it's a life-threatening disease if you get very sick because you drank unfiltered water. So to implement two is one and one is none, you would recognize that because this is a mission-critical piece of gear, I need to be able to filter water, you would bring some kind of backup. You would have a backup plan. And so you could carry two water filters or you could have a water filter and an extra cartridge for your water filter. Or you could be hiking with a friend of yours that also carries a water filter. Or you could bring a backup of some water purification tablets so that if your water filter fails, then at least you can purify the water by using some water purification tablets and you won't get so sick. So two is one and one is none. If you always commit yourself to having two of mission-critical gear, then if one fails, you'll still have one left. Now, bear with me. I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to spend most of my time on financial planning, but this concept is easiest for me to articulate and teach about in the context of physical preparedness. Over the years, people have played with this saying a little bit, and they've added more numbers. Preppers especially are want to collect huge amounts of gear, et cetera. And so you'll have a guy go through his backpack and he has 18 flashlights in there and four knives. And you're like, dude, come on, <laughs> this is really necessary. But people have played with it. And my favorite saying of this particular phrase is, is this, two is one, one is none, three's a guarantee. Two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. And that's the one that I personally use in my own life. If there's something that's very important to me, there's something that I need to do that's very important, something I need to have, a capability, whatever the version of it is, if there's something that's very important to me, then I say two is one, 
one is none, and three is a guarantee. I wanna make sure that I always have three different ways to accomplish something. So back to the example of our hiker who's out wandering in the woods, that hiker might carry his water filter, he might carry some water purification tablets, and he might also carry a stainless steel cup or a single-walled stainless steel water bottle, as well as some fire-making equipment, so that if he runs out of water purification tablets, and if his filter is broken, at the very least he can gather wood, start a fire, and boil water, thus rendering it safe to drink. So two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. It's very difficult to describe a scenario that could happen in which our intrepid hiker would not be able, with three methods of cleaning his water, would not be able to have clean water to drink. Two is one, one is none, and three's a guarantee. So if there's something that's important to you, always have triple redundancy, and in virtually all cases, you will not only have, you're going to be able to accomplish that task. Now, let's go a step further, because I've actually accidentally already gotten to the topic of complementary redundancy. So far, I'm focusing on the number of redundant methods of accomplishing something. Two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, three different ways of doing something. But where does the complementary come into the redundancy? And it has to do with thinking about ways that you can accomplish and have different methods and tactics that give you different benefits but still perform the same underlying core function. Let me use a flashlight example because where I first learned this particular concept or first had it fleshed out the way that I like and have used it now for years is from a YouTube channel called Urban Prepper. And on that YouTube channel, Cliff, the Urban Prepper, he talked about complementary redundancy and he gave a flashlight example. Many people understand that having a source of light and illumination is very useful and it's something that you want to have. And so we recognize that and we want to have a flashlight. So if you live in hurricane country and you're planning about hurricane preparedness, they say have a flashlight and batteries. If you live in snow country and you're planning for emergency preparedness, have a flashlight and batteries. So you can have a flashlight and batteries. And sometimes some preppers go out and they have a flashlight in every room, a flashlight in every drawer, but they're all flashlights. And you say, this seems a little wasteful. After all, what's the point of having three different flashlights that all do the same thing? Is there a way that I can get more benefit while also having redundancy? And the way that you do that is you analyze what you're trying to accomplish. In the flashlight example, you're trying to gain a source of illumination. And then you think about different types of illumination or different features or attributes of illumination that you might want to have. Uh, so flashlights, for example, are really great at throwing light, but sometimes they're hard to hold. And so a form of complementary redundancy would be to have one uh, handheld flashlight that is in your pack or in your kit or on your person, and then to complement that with something like a headlamp, a small headlamp that has a little cord around it so that if you need to work on something hands-free, you're cooking over a fire or you're fixing something on your car, you need both of your hands to turn a wrench, then you can put on that headlamp. That gives you not only a redundant source of light, because of course you can use the headlamp to light your path or shine underneath a couch while you're looking for your child's lost toy or whatever it is. It works just fine in that perspective and you can always hand hold a headlamp, but it gives you a complementary 
redundancy because now you have your handheld source of light and you have your head-mounted source of light. So you have a backup source of illumination, but it gives you different benefits and features. And then what if we wanted to have three? What if two is one, one is none, and three is for me? Three is a guarantee, three is for me. Well, then we would say, what other kinds of illumination would we like to have? And so we might do something like have a lantern, because a lantern gives a pleasant form of area lighting. And so if the power goes out and your family is gathered around the dinner table because you were in the middle of eating dinner when it happened, then a flashlight isn't great. A headlamp isn't great. Of course, you can play with those and modify them. You can shine them through a, a bottle of water or something to turn them into a quasi-lantern. But it's nicer if you simply have a lantern. And the lantern can work as a reliable backup source of light. If you need to fix something hands-free, the lantern can work. If you need to shine the light around a room, the lantern can work. But it gives you a very pleasant form of complementary redundancy. That's the basic concept of complementary redundancy. Now, back to our hiker. I accidentally, when I started the example, I actually already accidentally did that because that's the way that my brain works. If you notice my three methods of purifying water that I discussed, they provide the hiker with complementary redundancy. What's the complement? Well, first, the water filter is his primary source or primary method of cleansing his water so that he can drink it. And the water filter is ideal because it's fast, it's easy, and it renders the water not only safe to drink, but nice tasting. He can get the impurities out, and it can be a pleasant experience for him to have his drink of water. And so that's his primary method. But that water filter suffers from being bulky and really only doing one thing, filtering water. The second method I talked about, that of water purification tablets, is not ideal for him to use on a regular basis. It's more appropriate as an emergency backup because the water purification tablets not only aren't going to remove uh, turbidity from the water, not only are they not going to remove bad taste from the water, they're actually going to add an unpleasant taste to the water itself. They simply make the water safe to drink, but they're not pleasant. But what they are is small, compact, durable, and hard to destroy. Unlike the water filter, where the membrane itself might be delicate and, and cause problems, the water tablets are small, they're compact, they're durable, and they're not going to fail. If he's got them in a Ziploc bag and they're stuck in a safe place, they're not going to fail. They're going to be able to purify the water. Now that brings us to our third method, the third method of having a vessel in which he can boil the water. This is a good form of complementary redundancy because it not only complements the other methods. So for example, if our hiker had to use his water tablets, he would need to be able to put the water into a vessel that is that he can then put the tablets in and let them sit. And so what a hiker will usually do is will size his water bottle that he's going to boil water in or his pot to the proper size of how much water you can purify with one water purification tablet. And so the vessel that he would boil water in complements the other forms of purification. But it's redundant because he could use just that method alone to provide him with clean water. And again, it's not the it's not an ideal system because uh, it's hard to make a fire, it's time-consuming, the water's not going to taste great, 
but it provides him with another bit of capacity because now instead of just having a bottle that can be used to boil water in, he has a bottle that he can simply carry water in. And that water that he's carrying doesn't need to be purified because he brings it from home. He may not need to purify any or as much of his water from the streams. And the other aspect is simply the fire itself can be used on a daily basis to hydrate his hiking meals, etc. And so there's this virtuous circle among good gear and good planning. There's this virtuous circle where if you think in terms of complementary redundancy, you can implement different components that give you the same basic function, but that also give you various attributes that complement one another. I hope it's useful and I hope you think about that. Because, and I like to use those preparedness examples, those physical examples, because if you grasp them, they're simple and straightforward. And all this is, is a thinking tool. What you do is you apply this method of thinking to anything that is important for you. And you consider, what do I want to do? What is the capability that I want to have? And what methods can I put in place so that I have two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. So I have three methods to do those basic capabilities. And then how can I create complementary redundancy among these capabilities? By the way, this is really only for very important items. This is really only important for mission-critical items or mission-critical skills or things that are very important to you. Having fresh, clean, safe water to drink is very important to me. And so I want to make sure that I have the three different options. On the other hand, if I have a shirt, I'm out hiking and the shirt doesn't smell very good, I'm not going to try to always make sure that I have two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, and complementary redundancy among my shirts. I'm just going to be willing to deal with a stinky shirt on occasion. Now, clearly, we'll bring in layers to keep me warm, but I'm not going to carry three extra shirts and weigh myself down just so I don't have a stinky shirt. There's a difference between things that are truly important that you are not willing to do without versus things that are nice to have and, hey, a failure is okay. So let's turn now to financial examples. What are some ways of thinking and of applying this in the financial world? And I'm repeating, but this is what I do. This is one of the thinking tools I use to try to give people good outcomes. If there's something that's important, then I want to have three different ways of accomplishing it. So let's start with the simplest example, that of buying something. The most basic use of money is the ability to go and purchase something when you need it. And so I want to make sure that I always have multiple ways of purchasing something. So in my wallet, I always, I may have a primary, so, but I'll go through the three. In my wallet, I'll always have cash. I always have physical cash so that I can purchase something. I'll also always have a card, a credit card, debit card, et cetera, something that I can use to purchase something with a card. And then I'll always have an Apple Pay or a Google Pay, some form of electronic redundancy that I can use to pay for something. Now you pick your, you take your pick of which of those you prefer to be your primary form of payment. Uh, some people want cash as their primary form of payment. Some people their cards. Some people their watch. Uh, I find all of them useful in different contexts, and I find that those three different methods of purchasing something complement one another really, really beautifully. So the first thing, cash. Well, cash gives me certain features and attributes. Cash is is uh, it's. Uh, 
It's make sure that I don't go into debt, allows me to purchase something. It's easy to budget because I can mentally account for it in a really reliable and consistent way. Cash is virtually always accepted. Uh, It makes things happen very, very quickly. Cash is anonymous. I don't create a big profile with all of my transactions. Cash is safe. Once I purchase something with my cash, then I... Uh, then it's done. He's the, the seller is safe and I'm safe. The transaction is finished and concluded. There's no fraud, etc. It's it's a wonderful tool. So cash is great. On the other hand, cash has other attributes that make it difficult to happen. Uh, I might want to carry a few hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars on me, but I, for one, am not carrying tens of thousands of dollars in my wallet or on my person on a daily basis. And so you say, well, I might like to be able to make larger transactions than I would make with the money that I carry in my wallet. And so that's where a complementary form of payment, such as a credit card, can give you access to tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars of buying power in a single transaction. And so it gives you the ability to to make large transactions and it is convenient in, an, in its own way, in a different way. It is very safe because now you have fraud protection, you have merchant protection on certain transactions. So it's convenient and safe and you and it's easy. So it complements one another beautifully. You might always carry a few hundred dollars, but then your real spending money is on your credit card. And then you switch to something like Apple Pay on your watch. Now you have a whole different set of features and attributes. You have the ability to spend large amounts of money, but now you don't need to carry a wallet. You don't need to carry cash. You don't need to carry a card. All you need is the watch on your wrist. You have additional purchasing safety because now instead of all of your personal information being spilled with your credit card, now it's a single uh, transaction through Apple Pay, uh, which gives you additional forms of protection on the purchase uh, transaction. And now you have the features such that you're at a, an all-inclusive resort playing around in the pool, uh, and for whatever reason, you're not going to charge stuff directly to your room, but you want to pay, but you don't want to carry cash, which is going to get wet. You don't want to carry cards because it's annoying to have them in your pocket. Your watch is on your wrist. Tap, tap, pay the bill. You're done. And so you have three different methods of paying things. And what happens is that the three methods actually become more. So you can have 10 different credit cards and 10 different currencies or 10 different cards from different countries or different banks, et cetera, all lined up right there on your watch ready for you. And so at the simplest perspective of buying something and you want to plan that two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, with those three methods that I've described you're pretty much always going to be able to buy something. You could buy a car. Even if you have low credit limits, you just pull out your Apple Watch and go down six cards and make six transactions and buy your car. And you're on your way. Two is one. One is none. Three is a guarantee. And I want complementary redundancy. Complementary redundancy. Now, you go through other areas. So I think about this with regard to uh, bank accounts. So When I think about planning out my banking infrastructure, I know that two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. So I want to have at least three different bank accounts. But I don't want to just have three bank accounts all at the same kind of bank. I don't want to have a bank account with Chase and Wells Fargo and Bank of America. What's the point? They're all the same. I mean, yes, there, there is up some point, meaning that I do have differentiation among them. But what I mean is they all basically offer the same set of products. And I want to build in complementary redundancy into my banking situation. So what can I do? Well, I'm going to 
try to have three banks, but I want to analyze the basic attributes and features of those banks and then incorporate them into my financial life. So I might want to have one bank account with a big monster mega bank in the United States because they have a national presence and a national footprint. So again, Wells Fargo, Chase, Bank of America, uh, one of these is great. And they have good services, they've got good products, they've got ATMs and bank branches all around the country. I now have access to a national bank. But hopefully, by my articulating the basic attributes of this bank, you can see that there are times when I might want to have the opposite of those attributes. So I want to follow that up, perhaps, with a small local credit union or a small local bank. Why? Well, the big bank uh, can be useful because it gives me access to lots of services, but a little bank can be useful because I might get better personalized service or I might get more privacy. Someone's doing an asset search on me. Well, they're certainly going to try to get the info out of the big monster mega banks, but are they really likely to find my account at the local credit union in upstate Maine when I myself live in Florida? That's unlikely. And so I'll have a local, I'll have an account with a local credit union, a small local credit union that is going to give me access to their banking setups. In addition, these products can often complement one another. So the difference between a bank, which is a for-profit entity, and a credit union, which is a not-for-profit entity run for the benefit of its members, means that now I'm going to have access to a different set of products with a different set of features. At the big monster bank, I'm going to have access to all of their products, which are large, nationally advertised, etc. But at the local credit union, I'm going to have access to lower cost of financing, better rates and terms on certain financial products, more careful individualized underwriting where I'm not just a, a number. I have something to offset that. Now, where does the third one come in? Well, the third one comes in where in my analysis, I try to think of what are features or, and attributes that I might desire to have in a bank that I'm not going to have with options one and two. And so in my mind, I immediately, of course, go to, well, we don't have to immediately go offshore. That's where my mind goes. But I would look then at different levels of banking. Maybe you're very wealthy. And so you want to go ahead and have a relationship with a private bank, someone that's going to give you a very high level of service, and this can offset your other relationships. I, I quickly go offshore. So I say, I've got a good bank account in the United States with a big national bank. I've got a good bank account in the United States with a local credit union. The common feature of these, though, is the United States and the U.S. dollar. So maybe now I open up one bank account outside of the United States so that not everything is governed by one country's laws and rules and not everything is in one currency. And I might diversify and have access to a third, uh, a second currency by features of my having this international bank account. Now, quickly you can see that you can go on this way forever, and only you are going to be able to decide where the right place to stop is. So you might say, I want to have a bank account abroad, but I don't want just one bank account abroad. I want three bank accounts abroad in three different countries with three different currencies. Okay, that's fine. There's just a sliding scale here with how important something is to you and what the cost is to maintain that setup. If it's very important to you to have a flashlight, then you'll carry a flashlight with you. 
But one person is going to say two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, and he's going to have a flashlight, a cell phone with a flashlight in it, and a watch with a flashlight in it, and say that's good enough for me. Another person's going to have a self, excuse me, a flashlight, uh, a headlamp, and a lantern, and a cell phone, and a watch because I'm going to have this, and I want this these features, and I'm willing to carry this extra weight in my bag. One person's going to have three bank accounts uh, that are all in the United States. Another person's going to have three bank accounts in the United States, three bank accounts outside the United States, and three more backups in you know wherever. So there's this is just a mental tool, and you have to decide what you want and how important it is for you. But if you think about this in your various aspects of financial planning, you will uh, you will be a better planner. Before I go on and give more examples, I want to explain to you one of the things I most value about this method of thinking. What it forces you to do, done properly, is it forces you to be a better planner and a better thinker because you have to examine and identify the fundamental attributes of a thing or of a solution. And you have to identify those attributes and how they compare uh, to the attributes of another thing or another solution. So in terms of banking, very few people have ever thought much about what they desire in a bank account. They just saw an advertisement for a bank and they went and opened a bank account. But if you think about it and you recognize that there are certain attributes of each bank, and these are kind of built-in, baked-in attributes, then you can say, do I want those attributes? Do I not want those attributes? And you can incorporate them in a more self-conscious manner. This skill of not being caught up in emotionalism, not being caught up in dogmatic thinking, but rather in simply assessing something, identifying its basic attributes, and thinking about where those attributes might be useful to you is something that will make you a better thinker and a better planner. Let's use an example such as building, uh, such as investing, okay? If we go to the world of investing and we say two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, and we think about complementary redundancy, then in this conversation, we want to think about how can I get different features for my investments? So one one guy might go out and say, your business is your best investment. I would be that guy, by the way. Your business is your best investment. And you might hear that and think that I'm saying you should only invest in your business. That would be false. Your business is your best investment. It has the most potential, the most opportunity to make you the highest return on your money. And that's the key metric for you to be shooting towards. It also has certain basic attributes such as control. You can control the investment, such as insider information. When you're investing in your own business, you have insider information and it's entirely legal for you to invest according to that information. Uh, You have the ability to access capital, to borrow money safely. You have all kinds of basic features with your own business. But then you have a whole giant set of drawbacks. What if you get sick and can't run your business? The whole thing collapses. Your business is highly concentrated in a single industry or single thing. and That may cause everything to fall apart. And so by recognizing that, now you say, you know what? I'd like to have some redundancy, but I want it to be complementary. So if I have this business and I want redundancy, I want another way of making a lot of money on my investing, but I want it to complement the business, then let me take all of the attributes of my business and flip them on their head and see if I can go and find those attributes. So my business 
is very highly concentrated into one industry or market segment. But now, let me go and find a way to invest into business that's not concentrated into one market segment. Oh, if I buy this mutual fund, I have access to lots of different segments. My business gives me insider information, but that means that I myself could make up, make mistakes and screw things up. So let me buy businesses that are owned and managed by other professionals so that I'm not the only one that's there. Uh, and you say, my business allows me to borrow a lot of money, but let me make sure that I have money that's safe from borrowing. So instead of going out and building a portfolio of risky, you know, high growth stocks with margin accounts and a stock portfolio, let me go and buy mutual funds and put them in a retirement account and never borrow against them. So at least if I go bankrupt in my primary business, I have these backup investment assets here that I can use to start over again. Well, two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee. Where's my third source of investing? Well, this is where we pivot often to another form of investing, such as real estate. What's the benefit of real estate? Well, it's physical, it's tangible, it's functional, it's u- it has a certain form of utility. And so you might say, my three-pronged strategy is to invest primarily in my business, to then complement that with investments in my mutual funds, in retirement accounts, and then my complement to that is to invest into a large, nice personal home for me to live in, so that if point one and point two failed, I would at least have the money from my home and the equity there that's available for me. Some guys might go out and borrow and and buy rental properties because now I have a source of income that's not connected to sources of income number one and number two. You might diversify in other ways, right? You might go international, you might go across industries, etc. You're the one who gets to choose. But along the way, this way of thinking, two is one, one is none, three is a guarantee, and looking for ways to get that guarantee and also get complementary redundancy is really, really powerful. Now, you can apply this in any area of your life, and I don't want to belabor the plan. I do this with... um, you know, my emergency fund. If I need money, where is it going to come from? My emergency fund, three different forms of complementary redundancy. I might have cash in my pocket or cash under my mattress. I might have a credit card uh, and I might have a savings account, or I might plan that I'm going to have cash, a savings account, and a loan against my uh, 401k or a loan against my life insurance cash values, et cetera. And those are three different forms of access to capital that are going to allow you to solve the emergency. And they're different. They're, they're unique in their, each one of them. Uh, you might have a, I, I do this with international planning. I want to have three different countries that I can live in. And those countries, I want access to, to different things. One country I want to make sure has a access to a, a large job market so I can make a good living. The second country, I want access to a low cost of living country. Job market might stink, but maybe I'm working online, but I want a low cost of living place. And then the third country might be a country that grows a lot of food. So I can be confident that I'm always going to have food to eat. The third country might be a country that offers me access to a great healthcare system so that if I'm dying of cancer, I can get appropriate healthcare. I've used that principle in setting up residencies, which was what I was talking about there. We could switch to citizenships and passports. Uh, I want to have one passport from a country that gives me access to good, good travel access around the world. It allows me to travel to many different countries without having to spend all my time in international embassies and consulates applying for visas. So one factor in my passport selection and the citizenships that I'm pursuing is going to be a, a powerful travel document. Now, on the flip side, 
that powerful travel document often comes with a country that is going to impose high taxes, is going to be large, search for a lot of information, etc. And so the second passport or citizenship that I pursue, I might look for a small country, a small country that doesn't have a giant government spying budget. They're not going to follow me around the world. And I just want to make sure that it's good enough, but it gives me access to to travel, but it's from a small country that's that's fairly neutral. And then for the third one, maybe I'll choose a country that has a totally different profile than the one that I was, than either country number one and country number two. So if country number one is the United States and the United States is the world's superpower, but it's going up against China or Russia, then maybe there's a way that I can get a citizenship from a country that is more friendly towards China and Russia and less friendly to the United States. So that way, if my home country is messing everything up and I want a balance and I want to be identified with a different profile, then now I have the option to do that. So you can apply this thinking in everything, in every aspect of your life and every aspect of your life and planning. You identify the goal that you have, the thing that you're trying to accomplish, the basic features that you want. You think about how you can develop three different ways to accomplish it. And then you look to make sure that those three different methods or tools complement one another. So you don't only have redundancy, but you have complementary redundancy. I'm going to stop the examples there. I think you can fill them in. I had some other things planned on credit cards and insurance, et cetera, but you've, you've got the idea. You take it and go from here. As I wind down the show, though, I want to take a moment and promote one of my classes that will give you good, solid application of this principle to real life. And that class is called International Escape Plan. You can buy it at internationalescapeplan.com. I spent years thinking about these problems, watching them, etc. And as I thought about ways of preparing in the past, I've taught classes on physical prepping, on preparedness. I've, I've done all kinds of things on this. I realized that there were a whole suite of solutions to problems that most people weren't thinking of. And I realized that one of the best ways to survive and thrive in any kind of crisis was by not being where the crisis is happening, by simply going somewhere else. And in today's world, you can look around and you can see many reasons why there could be potential crisis in your town and your neighborhood and your country. And so I want to teach people how to have a backup plan to be able to escape to another country. So I created a course called internationalescapeplan.com. And in that course, I teach you how to put in place a system of complementary redundancy in every aspect of your life. And I teach it in a very careful way, a very phased tiered approach. I don't believe that everybody should go and be immigrants to another country. Probably not going to solve your problems. I don't think that everybody should leave and set up five bunkers in five different countries around the world. Rather, I teach it in a very careful and thoughtful way, showing you how to implement a phased plan that puts in place a system of redundancy to protect you from some of the significant uh, dangers that you can face in your life. If that sounds interesting to you, go to internationalescapeplan.com, buy that course, internationalescapeplan.com. I have sold a lot of those courses, and so far my running count for a refund is exactly one. So I have a lot of satisfied satisfied students, uh, and I think that you will like it as well. Go to internationalescapeplan.com today and buy that course. 